the Irish Times Inside Business podcast in association with Davy. It's amazing what you discover when you really listen. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week we're looking at the business of sport and the impact of COVID-19 on the finances of Leinster Rugby and Kerry GAA. For this show, I was joined in the hosting duties by Michael O'Keefe of Teneo. Later, you'll hear from Peter Twist, the Kerry GA Secretary, about the impact of COVID on the County Board's finances. But first, I spoke with Mick Dawson, Chief Executive of Leinster Rugby, about the impact of the pandemic on its activities on and off the pitch. Morning, Kieran. Yeah, obviously, um, no more than any other sports organisation in lots of businesses, it's been fairly, fairly catastrophic. Uh, I suppose the initial stages of the lockdown were kind of... Um, uh, it was different because the weather was good and we all thought we'd be back fairly shortly. But I suppose we've obviously the office is closed, which means people obviously working remotely. Uh, the players uh, weren't allowed to congregate together. So they all had to disappear. And all our clubs and our schools and mini rugby's and all our development programs were closed down. Um, and that was just the kind of physical side of it. And then obviously our business model is heavily, heavily reliant on gate receipts and uh, all the gate receipts dried up. So we're the same as a lot of other people, but um, kind of that's it in a nutshell. Just tell us, how much does it cost every year? What's the budget for Leinster Rugby? And in terms of lost revenue, you mentioned the fact that you're having to play behind closed doors, and I'm sure there are other um, commercial avenues that have been closed off to you because of COVID. So what's been the financial impact on Leinster Rugby so far? Well, the financial impact on Leinster Rugby and the other three provinces in the IRFU has been fairly catastrophic. Um, we have 50% of our income roughly is devised from gate receipts. So uh, when we're playing, obviously you want to provide a kind of a gold standard for the players. So the players get paid, the staff get paid, and you're trying to do things as well as you can. But nobody going through the turnstile. So for example, we were meant to play Munster in our uh, last season's Pro 14 match. We had to give all the money back there. That would be generally a net gate receipt of about 1.4 million for us. We turn over about 18 million a year. And as I say, 50% of that or close to 50% comes from gate receipts. So uh, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to work out that there's a lot of money being lost. And uh, we have to give all the money back for our Saracens quarterfinal match, which was a sellout as well. So that's, um, that's kind of it in a nutshell. Those, those couple of big matches and that sort of thing. And looking forward, we're not sure when we're going to get people back through the turnstiles. And Mick, um, just looking forward to the season ahead because you're, you're just about to kick off your next season, as it were. They're almost running into each other. Um, you've decided not to go ahead with season tickets uh, for the coming season, obviously because of the uncertainty around whether fans are going to be allowed to attend any of the games or not. Um, and I'm just wondering, again, just for the season ahead, is it, is it worse still for the season ahead in terms of the financial model? Yeah, well, the financial model is, is, is uncertainty, really, which is the big thing. Now, we've availed of all the government subsidies, the TWSS, the EWSS. There's 40 million um, pot there for the three big sports, the GAA, the FAI and the IRFU, which we'll be into. So we're uh, availing of our reserves, the IRFU reserves, government money, the CVC monies who've bought into the Pro 14. But uh, at the moment, our income streams are, uh, as I say, they're slashed, they're cut in half. We sell about uh, normally about 12,500 season tickets. So obviously we decided not to do that uh, for the simple reason that uh, we don't know when people are going to get through the turnstiles. So we formed a thing called um, a Leinster Club 
and about uh, 6,000 people signed up for that. So those people are, are buying the right to get first, first crack at any tickets that do become available. So, for example, if we went to the Aviva or the RDS, there might be, say, limited crowds, maybe six, twelve thousand 12,000 people. Those people who are members of the Leinster Club would get first crack at those tickets. But I'd say at the moment, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. I'm not sure whether there's a train coming the other way, but there's no light at the end of the tunnel at the moment. Mick, can I ask you before we move on to, to Peter for a few questions? Just one, um, look, Leinster's success on the pitch, but also off the pitch has been heralded in terms of the you know enviable sponsorship portfolio that you have. You know, we've seen, you know, a case by case basis with most rights holders in terms of how they they worked with their sponsors over the last kind of six months, which has been difficult for everybody. And some sponsors have obviously been hit particularly badly as well. Could you give us an overview without maybe going into individual examples of how you've treated sponsors and how you've kind of worked with sponsors over the last six months when, you know, I suppose the argument on the other side would be that they mightn't be necessarily getting the value that they would have thought with full houses and uh, and so forth as well. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's a seriously good point. Uh, I suppose one of the advantages we would like to think we have is that a lot of our sponsors have been with us for a long time, which means there's a sense of loyalty on both sides. Uh, our sponsorship team and our sponsorship liaison people have worked really hard trying to keep the sponsors engaged. And we've done an awful lot of virtual work with the sponsors, with the players, with the, the coaching staff and that. And we're trying to think of new ways to keep sponsors engaged and interested. Luckily enough, the vast majority of our sponsors have, um, have been enthusiastically stuck with us. Uh, they're going through difficult times as well. Um, so we've been lucky that most of them have stuck with us, but like it, it won't last forever until such time as people are allowed to go back through the turnstiles. And particularly hard to attract new sponsors as well, obviously, when, you know, that's the other downside of this, I suppose, is it's hard to bring new people into the portfolio when the, we've all this uncertainty, too. Yeah, it, it is, obviously. That's that's right. But I also think you've got to look at this business in the kind of a longer than the kind of the short term horizon and look at it a couple of years out and see, you know, if there's people who are interested to see what we can do. Like, I think one of the classic examples of this was CVC, who brought the Pro 14 in the middle of the pandemic. So they obviously had done due diligence for the last two years and still believed that there was a product that was worthwhile investing in and they stuck with it and I think all credit to them because I'm sure they could have played a bit of hardball in the middle of the pandemic but this was signed off like back in uh, sort of March, April so uh, you know there are still people who are interested in sport and will stick with us but uh, it is hard. Peter if, it, if you don't mind turning to you for a, a second um, and just maybe you might give people a sense Peter of how a county board like Kerry or other county boards um, budgets and the finances of a county board, how the revenue mix is made up and also maybe how Kerry would spend its money on, on, on an annual basis. Yeah. Hi, Mick. And uh, lovely to be on here. Um, it's uh, I suppose Kerry would be a typical county board, maybe slightly maybe on the uh, would be seen as one of the bigger boards. But um, you would be looking at an income of, for the day to day running of a county board uh, in a normal year. You're looking at two and a half to three million uh, euro. Now, that would be, maybe if you were in an All-Ireland or an All-Ireland final like we were last year in a replay, that would be maybe a bit higher. But, you know, you're looking at that figure. So at the start of every year, you'd be looking at bringing in that kind of income. Um, typically, that kind of, the makeup of that income would be, you know, gate receipts, as as um, as, as was spoken to earlier there. Um, maybe half a million in, this, in the case of Kerry. So that, that obviously was wiped out straight away. Um, Another, you'll get another half a million from the Central Council GA through, uh, you know, team expenses in the sense of, you know, teams traveling to games and overnights being covered. You know, there's a kind of a, a system there. And 
in the GA as well, you know, the Alliance, Alliance Leagues, they are actually, the money taken in from those gates is actually circulated out to the club counties as well, you know. So that would be another half a million there, that kind of group. Then you'd be looking at, we'll say, the corporate side where we'd have sponsorship. Kerry Group would be our team sponsors. Uh, we'd also have little other sponsors, you know, associate sponsors. And um, we'd get a kind of a grant from the from Central Council again, you know. So again, you're talking about seven or 800,000 there. So uh, other incomes then would be maybe, the you know, you get field rent if there was a big game, for instance, in Killarney in Fitzgerald Stadium. All that comes into maybe 100, 200. You'd be gathering away. And I suppose one of the... Uh, <clears throat> One of the things that all county boards would be doing would be fundraising. You know, there'd be natural a natural thing there for fundraising anyway. So, for instance, in Kerry, I suppose we have two types of fundraising. We'd have one for the for the day to day running of the board. Again, maybe our budget for a year there would be two hundred thousand or hundred two hundred thousand. The other type of fundraising would be for capital um, expenditure. That's a kind of a different thing entirely. Uh, that would be a bigger fundraising effort. So. Just to, just to give an example, maybe, and I'm sure every county board would, would be going through this. Uh, like, for instance, we have a golf classic next Friday, as it turns out, and Friday week we have two days. We, we were meeting this morning here at 8 o'clock. You know, the lads came in before work and they met. I mean, we're talking about voluntary people here and that's just part of the of the G. And, you know, for instance, we had Owen Liston here this morning. We had Jerk Heath, we had Sean Walsh. Uh, we'd have the Gooch Cooper at the golf, you know. I suppose we are very lucky in the sense that we can tap into these guys. They just give their time and we have such a great relationship. So that's how we mainly manage it, you know. That's how we bring in the money. We kind of scrape it at that, you know. And just one one more question for me. It's it's in two parts before I hand you back to Kieran. Is a similar question as, as to Mick Dawson around your sponsors and how you've kind of worked with them over the last few months, Peter. And also... Um, I saw that, um, I suppose, to, you turned down the opportunity to have the county final broadcast on RTE so you could stream it yourselves. Uh, and what was the kind of financial upshot, if you can tell us, uh, of that? OK, so first of all, the sponsors, and I suppose, I, I suppose Kerry G would always be associated with Kerry Group, you know, and I suppose we're so lucky there. They've been with us from the start. And... Um, you know they are they're they're super to be with, and I can and I suppose one of the outstanding memories I have, and maybe when the COVID is all over, in four or five years' time, we'll be looking back at you know the COVID situation and what happened. And one of the things I will remember about the COVID is I was inside here on my own uh, during the lockdown, and I got a phone call from Frank Hayes, who would be the the head of corporate affairs in in Kerry Group, and Frank would have worked with us and. You know, he rang me and he asked us how we are and how were we and how we were going to manage. And he kind of said, look, Kerry Group would always be there for Kerry GA, you know. And in a way, I suppose maybe it's different for other sports. But to me, that sums up a relationship that's you you can't put that into a contract. You know, that's a special relationship. And I suppose within the GA and I presume with all other sports, there is a kind of very personal connection with sponsors, you know, but that would that would keep you going that kind of um, that kind of a, a lovely, a lovely phone call to get, you know, uh, coming to the, the your second question about the streaming. Well, we had some fierce fun with the streaming, you know, it was hilariously funny because we went from zero to 100 in, in about three weeks, you know, and um we we laugh at it all because our county final was last weekend, you know, and it kind of that was the peak, you know, and um, so it an amazing story. First of all, we had a PRO, Leona Twist. She's my niece as well as being the PRO, and we had another assistant secretary, Emma Sweeney, who came on this year as a new officer. And I said, the poor woman, you know, she didn't know what faced her. So we land, 
Usually in the GA, you come into a meeting and you might have no interest in something and you leave the meeting in charge of the, of the process, you know. So, <laughs> so the two girls were given the task anyway of getting basically streaming up to a level of Sky Sport, like, you know, that was there. <laughs> so they did, they tore into it and we started with uh, one camera and I, my idea of streaming was to follow up on a stand with a mobile phone, you know. We knew nothing about it. So we started with one camera and then we, we got a bit more. We invested anything we made into it, you know. And then we got connected in fairness to Noel Quinn in Crop Park. He kind of helped us out. And we had kind of a lot. We, we finished up in there with a local crew doing the videoing. Uh, uh, Thomas Hannifin and his two sons. The poor man is in shock sense. And... And uh, we were able to get a company in that were able to manage the kind of the platform and the paywall. So we were able to get the local, the local kind of uh, contractor to do the, the local thing. And then we had local commentators. And, you know, we, 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 we fell in love with the streaming, we'll be honest with you, and our efforts. And we didn't mind about the, the gates were not an issue. Our income was not an issue for the streaming at all. We took, we took that out of it. We said we wanted two things, to cover the matches and a quality product. We just felt it was important for Kerry to have a quality product. So we started doing different things. And I can remember one week, some fella flew in from London with, with something for, a, for streaming. I had no idea what he had, which was inside the plastic bag. And apparently it helps with the replays and things of streaming. And um, so it was funny. So anyway... And then we led up to our county final. And I know RT were interested, to be fair, and we have a great relationship with RT and with TJ Cahar. And in fact, they shot some of our earlier games and they shot a semi-final. But, you know, we took the decision that we'd put so much into it for the few, for the, for the 10 weeks. We were going to finish on a high with the county final. And we had our own little program. We had an hour preview before the matches. We, we had a little uh, group of people talking about the matches. We visited the teams before, during the week and we recorded little pieces. And traditionally in the county final, we'd honour the team that won the county final 25 years earlier. So we went out to Long Rangers and we interviewed the players and we put all this in our programme for the for the night. And the Calargan Pipe Band, they're kind of a famous band down here in Kerry and they were looking forward so much to the county final and, you know, that was one of their big gigs and of course, we couldn't have them. So we went out and we recorded them outside in Calargan where they were practicing. So I suppose what we did was we took, we, we, we took ownership of the whole thing and we said, you know, we're going to do it our way. And it was more of a kind of a, it was based more on sentiment maybe and our own little pride in it rather than anything financial. And it had nothing to do against RT or TGK or anything like that. Nothing to do with that. So that would be the kind of the story. The few quid you made and it probably helped anyway though, Peter, is what you're trying to say. The few quid we made, we kind of put back into it. And after all that, in during the final, uh, whatever happened on the end of the final, we had so many people coming through that our, our website crashed. So, <laughs> so poor old Leo then nearly had a, a seizure at that stage, but uh, it came back up again anyway, just in time for David Clifford's super goal. And basically, we're going to get a new website now. And we'll, we hope to kind of build on that as well, you know. We hope to build on that. Peter, can I ask you, what kind of audience uh, did you get for the final? How many streams? So for the final, we got over 4,000. Um, we got over 4,000. I think initially when we started, we, we started with three or 400, and then we went up to 900. And then we kind of held it around 900. for a, But we put a major effort into the, um, into the final. It was kind of an all-out all effort. And uh, we hope going forward to actually develop it more. That's our intention, you know. So it's part of the new normal. Something you stumbled upon, I suppose, as a result of COVID. And just talking about the fixture list, because perhaps the GAA has finally stumbled upon a solution 
to the thorny issue of club versus county in terms of uh, fixtures. What's your view of that? Yeah, the fixtures this year, again, a bit like the streaming, I suppose I would have a more of an interest in the fixtures in the sense I'm kind of in charge of the fixtures in, in the CCC in Kerry. So you know, that was a great challenge for us. We got a, um, it was fantastic. We got a blank sheet to, to work with over a 12-week period and we put on a, a great show, I think, in myself and well, it was well received. So yes, it has, it has raised questions in at national level about the split season, you know. Uh, no, okay. The split season, they say be careful what you ask for in case you get it, okay? Um, number, I suppose as Secretary of the County Board, the first thing I'd spot about the split season is that I could see where, you know, the, the costs of running county teams would probably reduce by, I don't know, maybe 25, 30%. So you're saying, God, that's good anyway, you know? Uh, from a person who's involved with fixtures here in Kerry, at Clough, at, at, within the county, you know, the demarcation between inter-county and club, God, that's attractive, you know. That, 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 that saves me a lot of headaches there, I'm saying to myself. Yet, yet even accounting for those things and those obvious advantages, I would be, I, I, I'd be cautious, you know. I think, I think the co- compressing so many fixtures into such a tight period for county players and then you're doing the same with club players. Okay, this this time because it was a special year, we got twelve weeks to run off things, and everybody bought in. But I'm not too sure how you could maintain that. Uh, will it mean, for instance, what about the dual player? You know, how's he going to manage all these fixtures all of a sudden? Because when it's the county season, everybody will want to pile in with county fixtures, and when it's the club season, everybody will want to pile in. You know, and uh, so I'd have concerns, but I still, I certainly think it it has opened a great debate on it. And just on the issue of uh, the money, the amount of money it costs to prepare county teams now, you know, the likes of Paspalan and Colin O'Rourke and people like that are saying that it's out of control. They've been saying it for a number of years. You're saying that uh, this might potentially rein it in a bit, bring it down by 25 to 30%. Maybe just give us a sense of what it costs to prepare, let's say, the Kerry um, senior football team each year and how this kind of split season might impact that. Normally, we'll say we'll, we'll say most counties uh, would have we'll, we, we, you would have six you might have six, te- six teams inter county you would have senior hurling senior football under twenty football under twenty hurling and minor so to be six now obviously in Kerry the, the senior footballers would be you know very high profile but you are talking about six teams in fairness and you have to prepare them all so in total uh, for a, a county like Kerry you'll be talking about a million plus euro. That would cover everybody in a given year. So that's what we'd budget for. Out of that, you'd be talking maybe 60% of that would be for the senior football team because they would be the team that would probably be, you know, going furthest and the biggest games and all that. So um, so that's a huge issue. Uh, that's a huge issue, I suppose, for all counties is just uh, controlling that. I don't believe myself a million euro is out of control, you know, um, I th- I think maybe you you hear figures from other counties that might be way higher, and you'll be getting worried. But um, when you think of the efforts put in and and the back and the and the and the, and the, f- the medical and the backup involved and the commitment of the players, you really are. That's the figure you're talking about. You know, there isn't huge waste there. Um, it's just that I suppose where you could reduce it in the sense of the split season is that the time period is reduced. So inevitably. Um, you're reducing the costs, but um, you, yeah, it would. It, it, that's the kind of money you'll be pumping into 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 teams to get them anywhere prepared properly. Um, Mick, if I can turn to you again, you mentioned the government supports, and just to ask, uh, you know, look, we had the seventy million um, Sport Ireland government support and thirty million between the the three big sports. What would you like to see from government? I suppose in the next 
six to 12 months on top of that, because that very much plugged the short term cash uh crash crunch so to speak would you what would you like to see for the next 12 months bearing in mind that i suppose we're going to be living with with covid for for, for that period of time um as the first question i have for you it's very difficult to say what you'd like to i mean obviously it, the, the problem is solved by putting people through the turnstiles again right uh so i'm no medical expert and obviously the medics at the moment are saying getting a lot of people together is not is not a smart move so i mean we're all going to run in i would say that We've worked out a situation that professional sport in Ireland, which is close to professional rugby in Ireland, which is closely linked to the amateur game as well, um, will run out of money. Uh, I think Philip Brown was in the Oireachtas last week and I don't think he over-egged it and I think he'd have all our support. It just, there isn't a finite pot and the IRFU, I think, have been, you know, they've been good husbanders of cash over the years and they have a, their balance sheet is strong, but they will certainly eat into their into their reserves uh, to keep the game going over the next 12 months. Now, the government, obviously, the easy thing to say is the government stick their hands in their pockets and keep us all going. But um, there isn't a bottomless pit there as well. So, I mean, the, t- the two things there. One is you find a, a vaccine for this COVID thing. Uh, two, you let people through the turnstiles. Or three, we just slowly run out of cash. Uh, and the game as such, and I'd say game sport in general is is under pressure because it's going. It's not just unique to rugby. Everybody's going to run out of cash. Yeah, but just two questions on that. Make one is obviously the the one cost that's semi within your control is salaries and the thorny issue of of cost base. So that's one thing I suppose that you you, you could address um, in the short term. Um, and the second one is uh, the conversation around uh, private benefactors and and so on. And is there a, a thought process around um, potentially tapping into that network? in the short term to, 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 to fill the gap? Well, I mean, the players uh, obviously are a major overhead, uh, but the players are also, they're the uh, income generators for this and they have to be looked after. Players have taken a salary cut and a salary deferment, as have the staff uh, within all our organisations. So we have addressed that. We are looking at, uh, at all our cost bases uh, uh, as well. I suppose rugby as a professional sport has only evolved in the last 25 years. And the first time we've seen now private equity has come into the uh, premiership and into Pro 14 through CVC, who obviously see a value in what's going on, or maybe they see an undervalue in what's being created. And they see an opportunity for them over the next five or six years to create more value. Uh, Private benefactors... like we've we've been helped over the years by people on capital projects, and I mean I heard Peter say that there's capital projects, and I've no doubt people in Kerry and people outside of Ireland have put their hands in their pockets for capital projects, and capital projects uh, generally generate a bit of support and enthusiasm. We got we got help to build uh, our office block here in UCD. We got help to build a centre of excellence in Donnybrook uh, as well, and I think people see that people pushing money in just to keep. Uh, an organisation going or player, I see that as less likely. I don't think that's what benefactors do, just put money into a black hole. So I think capital projects, yes, you could definitely look at it. Uh, but I do think it's in, it's encouraging that uh, private equity companies are looking at the sport in general, you know. Mick, just on the capital projects uh, issue, uh, where does the RDS redevelopment project stand now because of COVID? Well, the RDS project is just, to clarify, we're, and we've discussed this before, we're a tenant of the RDS we're working closely with them. Uh, funnily enough, the RDS project is still very much on the RDS agenda because the Anglesey stand needs to be redeveloped. Uh, the RDS, I think, uh, despite the fact that uh, the events programme there has crashed, uh, they still have um, 
strong uh, income from their office blocks and so forth. So we're still very much looking at it, where we obviously got awarded 10 million from the government. We're going through the audit process, or the RDS is going through the audit process with the government on the 10 million. And uh, we still have uh, our naming rights partner. Uh, So it's still very much on the agenda. And I'd be, having had conversations in the last couple of weeks, I'd be more, more optimistic in recent weeks than I was, say, two or three months ago. And I think it's great credit to everybody, even in this COVID environment, that people are still looking at capital projects. Mick, and uh, I mean, this might apply to the GA as well, but um, sort of different rules are applying north and south of the border in terms of uh, attendances at matches. And we see that Ulster Rugby now is going to be allowed to have some fans in the Kingspan Stadium for upcoming games. Uh, and we've seen in the north in GA, I'll ask Peter about that in a moment, how uh, some county matches uh, have had attendances, but not not uh, south of the border, if you like. And what's your view on that, Mick? Um, if, if Ulster are allowed to have crowds in, do you think that Leinster should be allowed to trial something? Well, listen, we'd be very, we'd be very encouraged by the fact that Ulster are putting in six, six, seven hundred people. Uh, I think it's on Friday night. Uh, we're working closely with Martin Murphy, who's the chief executive of the Aviva, is uh, chairing a group, including the FAI and the GAA people, to look at uh, plans to get have a return to crowds. So there is a plan out there with uh, one metre, two metre social distancing in the Aviva, and this can work everywhere. Uh, so we'd be very uh, pro letting people back in on a sort of a limited basis and make sure it works. So we have a plan for the RDS as well. And I'm sure there's plans out there all over the place. But, you know, I think people want to go. And, uh, you know, we've seen in England, they've let people back on a gradual basis and in the north. So encouraged by that and very keen to get to go and trial it uh, in the south here. Peter, from a, a GEA point of view, we've seen crowds obviously at some matches, uh, at a lot of matches, club matches uh, north of the border. But... Uh, unfortunately, south of the border, um, that can't happen. So uh, what's your view on it? And obviously we saw recently with the Tyrone match where there was a bit of a pitch invasion and people jumping on top of each other. It was, it was a bit unfortunate. I think that's the one thing that hurt the most. I think certainly within the... within the We found that in Kerry with our club matches, the the inability of people to attend the games. It was... Uh, that was the real... That was the real sore point. Um, I mean, like you take an average club game and carry, you know, if we left five hundred, four or 500 people in, that covers everybody in the club who wants to see the game, you know, and um, that hurt, I must say. And, um, you know, maybe it's wrong to be critical now. Everyone is doing their best. But I think a lot of people were quite upset that, uh, I mean, you take Fitzgerald Stadium, the capacity is 40,000 and you're saying that 500 people can go in safely now. As I say, I don't want to be critical. Everyone is doing their best. But that, a lot of people, you know, you know, sport means an awful lot to a lot of people, uh, you know, wh- whatever the sport is. And, and the GA in Kerry is a huge thing for, you know, the social aspect to it and just going to see the match. And, you know, it was very, it was very disappointing. And um, I know in the North, they, they, they had, I think it was 400 and that was great. But look, we have to respect all one, obviously, absolutely, we have to respect the... Uh, the policies and and it's all in the interest of safety, but it, it hurt bad. I would I would have to say that you know. And just in terms of budgeting, Peter, I just wonder for let's say for twenty twenty one. I'm sure you you you've been crunching some numbers for for next year. Um, How is it going to look in terms of uh, income and expenditure? Yeah, it's like Mick said there. If if there's nobody coming in, we're all going to be in trouble. Uh, you know that's the reality. I suppose the GA we're looking at players, amateur players, so you can you can probably play with the games to some extent. You know. But um, 
you know, uh, it's, it's a huge problem. Uh, I, I, it's very worrying. I, I'd say, to be fair to the G, you know, they're almost more worried about next year than this year. You know, um, you could get by this year. But it, unless something uh, something happens positive, you know, with the tendencies, uh, it's going to be a tricky one. Um, I suppose the GE, as I say, is mainly a voluntary organisation. So, you know, that, that would be maybe an advantage in this situation. Um, I would see maybe where, where it would hit hard would be the whole area of capital in, uh, capital expenditure. You know, tr- typically in the GE and maybe it's in the other sports as well. You know, if you did kind of build this dressing room or whatever, bought another field, you'd always be able to get you know, 15 or 20 percent back from the Crow Park or Munster Council, you know. So that's gone, you know, that's gone probably for a long, a long while. That's not the end of the world. We, we, we have plenty of facilities. We're fine that way. And I suppose the main thing would be to keep the games going. Um, but you're looking at probably reducing everything back down, you know. So it's a huge concern going forward, and we, we we'd be very dependent really on central council and 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 maybe hopefully government. Like I take the point about going to government, but you know I would make the point that look, uh, sport. If if this thing has shown anything, sport has a huge role in society. And I'm not sure, you know, to say to me that people are not aware of that at government level or, or, or at, at any level, that's that's a cop out, you know. Of course they must see it. They see it with their own eyes. We had people climbing walls to see a match, you know, coming over, building scaffolding, you know. So uh, there's a huge uh, positivity with sport and all sport. And I think, you know, I know the government are under pressure, but, um, you know, it's absolutely vital. It's absolutely vital that we give sport the attention and the support it absolutely deserves. Mick, can I just ask you about uh, private equity? You mentioned um, CVC and uh, they've obviously got involved in Pro 14 and Premiership in the UK and possibly in the Six Nations as well. Within rugby, I suppose before COVID, there there would have been differing views as to whether that was a good thing or not. Some people would see it as rugby selling its soul to uh, private equity who want to make money and want to make a a return. Um, What's your view? Well, I mean, I can understand that view. But first of all, CVC have only bought 20% of the Pro 14. And an awful lot of the, the rugby rights uh, remain with the, uh, with the shareholders as opposed to with CVC. I think, personally, I think it's a very good thing. I think that your sport has kind of arrived when, uh, you know, serious players with deep pockets come in to actually to look at your sport. So I'd be very positive about it. Uh, I think um, everybody has been... Uh, Kind of accept, you know, it's like a lot of things. You're quite happy to take the check. Uh, so if you take the check, you've got to be positive about it as well, I think, you know. So I, I, CVC, we really haven't seen, um, how they're going to add value as of yet. And they haven't tried to change the world. So I think it's early days, but, uh, personally, we'd be very positive about it. And, uh, they seem to be honorable people. As I said, I think there was a great chance for them or a great opportunity for them to, um, I suppose, to, to screw up the final part of the negotiations by saying, listen, the pandemic has come and they could have done that and they didn't take that opportunity. And I would say that shows uh, some honour. Uh, we'll wait and see. But uh, in the initial stages, I'd say we're all very positive and we look forward to working with them. Just to say, I suppose to, 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 to both of you, um, I, I think, look, I think, Peter, you, t- you touched on it. I think sport is a vital place in society for the health of the nation, but also elite sport that, you know, the excitement now building up towards the GA championships to, you know, watching Leinster in action over the last few weeks as well. It's been fantastic. And look, it's been really difficult for people involved in sport. But I think it's great to see two people like yourselves on who 
who understand the value of sport and are really putting the shoulder to wheel to make sure that things keep going because we do need sport and it's been great the government have put the hand in the pocket and people have been agile um but you know hopefully this thing will pass and we'll all be back in the Viva Stadium and Crow Park and other places as well, having a few drinks and watching our teams play. So just to both of you, thank you very much for, for your time. And um, we covered a lot here. So I don't know, Kieran, do you want to conclude? Well, I just want to ask Peter, are Kerry going to win the All-Ireland this year? Uh, we're going to, we're, well, our first job will be at Cork above in Cork and that's always a big, a big job for us. We, we, we'd be always nervous of the, the Rebel County. So uh, that'll be our first, uh, our first target. And after that, who knows what happens? All right, well, Peter, we wish you well, except when you play Dublin. And Mick, uh, similarly, we wish Leinster well uh, on the pitch uh, this season. Thank you both for joining Inside Business. At Davy, we know your well-being should be financial as well as personal. And now, when it's a little more challenging, if you're in a position where you have a pension, it's never been more important to get active. So talk to one of our trusted advisors now, and we can help you find a solution for your pension needs. A solution that could help you feel better about your financial future. Let's start the conversation. Call us today or search Davy. Davy, it's not just business, it's personal. Janie Davy, trading as Davy, is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. We take our responsibilities personally. Now, Mick O'Keefe, uh, some interesting insights there from Mick Dawson of Leinster Opie and Peter Twist for Kerry GAA. I, t- I suppose if you look at Mick Dawson, and the rugby, very interesting uh, about CVC, the fact that uh, during the negotiations, as he said, they could have used COVID as a lever to try and uh, bring down the price of investing in Irish rugby or in in uh, in, in rugby uh, across the Pro 14, but they didn't didn't actually do that. No, and they, 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 they honoured their agreements. Now, obviously, this is, you know, step two or three for CVC in a longer term journey as well. So, um, and they would be conscious of the sensitivities around private equity investment and also honoring the deals but yeah I, I I think he made a very good point there at the time of after long protracted negotiations and then the pandemic hit you could well have had scrupulous investors you know preying on the fact that the money was needed more than ever by cash strapped clubs and provinces and, and, and unions but they didn't they invested and I suppose that's the long-term conversation and you know I, I think if anything has come out of the conversation today but also the last few weeks of navel gazing from sports bodies is is that sports tend to budget season to season um and they you know probably need to take a longer term view and probably also need to factor in that things like cash reserves and kind of diversifying their portfolio of 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 of, of income streams and keeping costs under control or something that's probably going to have to happen after this and what sports are going to learn and how sport is going to change after this pandemic Sure. Now, Peter Twist gave us an interesting insight into the finances of Kerry GA. I know that Taneo, um, you work across a lot of sports and uh, you work with a number of uh, GA counties and so forth, you know, or you're talking to a number of GA counties. Um, so across the board, what's been the experience? What have they been telling you? Let's maybe take Dublin. Dublin's the big one, I guess. Um, it's the big commercial machine within the GAA. What kind of impact do you think um, COVID has had on the likes of Dublin? I think I think all the counties have experienced the, the same thing. I think they've probably been blessed, as Peter said, that the, the season is much shorter. Um, so the preparation time is shorter. So i.e. the costs are reduced this year. So you'll probably see significantly reduced costs associated with things like medical bills, nutrition, strength, conditioning, all the stuff that travel as well, that it takes up the bulk of the costs associated with running elite teams. Um, I think, though, of all the counties that we've spoken to, collectively the same issue applies is that there's a shortfall of funding and some of the fundraising events didn't happen. 
um, there's been issues with some sponsors, although I have to say at GA level, most sponsors have more or less honoured all their agreements um, and didn't look for for reductions in 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 sponsorship fees, um, primarily because I think the Alliance Leagues was more or less completed. And I think primarily because there will be a GA championship, um, fingers crossed. So, you know, the, the conversation around fee reduction, I think it's probably less so in the GA than other sports where, you know, there's probably long term partnerships. Peter touched on the the um, partnership with Kerry Group. You've the likes of Kenny in with with Glambia. You've Dublin in with AIG, Mayo in with Elvries. These are long established relationships with people who are, you know, obviously impassioned about the sport and the county. So thankfully, that source of revenue hasn't dropped in most cases. <clears throat> but I think it's been very challenging for for county boards, and I, and I do think the cash injection received. Um, from Sport Ireland via the government, I think has helped plug that short-term gap. I think what you've probably found with a lot of sports is that there was a this cash crunch at the very start, Karen, and then maybe the NGBs and the governing bodies had three to six months worth to get them through. But once that's over, you know, and a lot of them availed of the government subsidies and the wage subsidies and so forth. But once that's over, I think the real challenge is looking ahead to 2021. Um, and how is sport going to be subsidised? Because it's going to need subsidisation. So, and and how is the government going to approach that? Yeah, I mean, just in terms of the business models, have they changed forever? And which sports are are most deeply impacted? Yeah, it's a good question. So, you know, you talk at sport in its global sense. So, you know, there's been sports companies in this market here who specialise in things like triathlons and Ironmans and half marathons and, you know, very successful companies. Um, there's hospitality companies, there's sponsorship agencies, all these places, a lot of them have closed their doors because there's no business. Um, some of them have pivoted and, and they've been agile and have been able to do that. But, you know, the impact on those industries around sport has been quite deep and that hasn't really been discussed. With respect to the sports that you mentioned, very much not a one size fits all. So obvious differences between indoor and outdoor sport and that's something that's called out in the government protocols. Um, so things like tennis and rowing and some of those sports that are outdoors actually saw an increase in membership as people kind of flock to outdoor sport but then you've got certain sports like basketball that is indoor and other sports and gyms and that kind of thing that really you know have have had to bear the brunt of this because their, their sports have more or less been closed um the other thing to note as well is that when it comes to the ngb so you obviously the national governing bodies for sport you've got the big three as they're called and some of the ones like the golf and hri and that but the next tier you know hockey tennis basketball athletics um some of those ironically which had done a really good job in attracting commercial income and external income have probably suffered the most um and they're the ones that i think are going to have to pick up the pieces a little bit after this um so has the business model changed you know the, obviously there's differences between the sports I think it has. I think sports are going to be uh, looking at things like greater reserves. You know, they're going to be looking at things like, you know, attendances and how do they get people back into stadium over the next couple of years. I think the professional sports, such as Mick Dawson sport, but others, um, that's the one in this country that we'd be most focused on, are going to have to look at costs and wage bills and things like that going forward. Um, obviously, these are professional sportsmen with, long, with short careers and no one wants to see them um, lose lose their, their earning potential, but that's one of the only costs that's associated. But one of the other things I think is the, the sponsorship side of things and the nervousness around that and a change to the broadcast model too. And Peter touched on it, I know, kind of lightheartedly in some respects, but you know, will we see people streaming more, charging per game? That kind of thing I think will change. Um, and then at a bigger level, potentially as some sports um have have seen a massive collapse in income that maybe it is a time for investment and external investment and the likes of the private equity firms coming in and taking a stake in the global sports 
What about the League of Ireland, Mick? Uh, they're sort of they managed to cobble together a financial package for this season. It's a much reduced season, only eighteen games. Uh, but what happens for next year? Is it is it viable? Is it sustainable? Look, it's really, really difficult. You have a you have a, <clears throat> a situation where clubs are you know trying to to pay players professionally or or semi professionally, relying on gate receipts and relying on sponsorship. Um, I, I think the League of Ireland, if it's to be viable and sustainable long term, and they've they've a brilliant new director in there, which I think will be fantastic. But they have a short term issue which comes in the next twelve months about running the league. Um, I think they need um a, a standalone uh, commercial um portfolio of of, of sponsors. Um, and, and I think they're going to have to need support because ultimately, um, how is the league going to survive with all these extra costs and no income? Um, and look, the FAI has had its much uh, yeah, publicised um, issues and, and, and problems um, off the pitch. So it's not like there's deep reserves there to help the clubs. And I think there's a bigger issue with the league as well, Kieran, um, in that, you know, you may well end up with a haves and haves not situation and a very unequal league where if Dundalk qualify for argument's sake tomorrow night, um, it could be worth three million to them. Um, that's the that's you know multiple times the turnover of some of these clubs. Um, the likes of Shamrock Rovers have obviously gone into a whole different stratosphere in terms of 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 how they run their 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 finances and their and their club. So you could end up with two or three teams max breaking away uh, almost and and a and a very unequal playing field or uneven playing field, which I don't think is going to be good for the league in the short term, um either. So um although Shamrock Rovers fans probably don't mind too much uh, after years of years of pain. But I think um you know I I think it's a very good question and I think the short answer is that I would be very bullish about the league longer term under the stewardship of, of Mark Scanlon. And I think they've a, 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 the league has a great future. I do think, though, they have a very difficult 12 months ahead. They need commercial support and they need support from the FAI via via the, the Irish government. Right. OK, well, listen, we'll see how that plays out. Mick O'Keefe, thank you for joining Inside Business this week. Thank you, Kieran. OK, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Mick Dawson, Peter Twist and Michael O'Keefe. Thanks also to our sponsor, Davy Group, for its continued support. Suzanne Brennan produced the show with JJ Vernon on sound. Research was by Dan O'Neill of Teneo. Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today, email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care and stay safe.